0: This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Conte Cheese Association. Conte, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at conte-usa.com. That's c-o-m-t-e-usa.com.
1: This week on Meet and Three, we head into the second part of our mini series on global trade, where we talk about all things sweet. From chocolate and sugarcane to the cultural festival that accompanied the growth of the date industry
0: in the U.S. They're using this romance and fantasy to say dates are exotic and you should consume them. I like to think of the food that we eat as archaeological artifacts in part because the history of humanity is in the stands in your produce market. It's not like other foods. We have very like personal feelings about chocolate. Tune in to Meet and Three,
1: HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. And welcome to Cutting the Curd. I'm your host, Kara Warren. And today on the show, we have Nick Bain, head cheesemonger at the Fine Cheese Company in Bath, England. And he is also the 2015 Cheesemonger Invitational winner, as long as a UK competitor in the Concours... Mondial du Meuleur Fromager. <laughs> for our listeners out there, this is the international competition for cheesemongers in France. So I I tried to listen hard on how to pronounce that the best I could. Uh, maybe Nick will say it better. But Nick, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, six years after my first time on it, more or less, which uh, I, it seems crazy because it doesn't feel like six years. Um, uh Yeah, th- uh, my French is terrible. So the concours mondial de milieu Hommage is as close as I can get. And goodness knows if that's any good.
1: Which is actually a really good sign. Compare my version to your version. Your standards are very high. That sounded great. <laughs> that was very good. Uh, well, they are it, just across the yeah. channel.
2: So I have to uh, be nice to them.
1: Yeah, I, I was just gonna say, are you on the same time zone as well with with parts of certain parts of France? Is it
2: uh, Oops. I yeah. think so. I, th- I, th- I, n- no, actually, pardon me, uh, maybe no, not because when we, went there to compete, <laughs> we were an hour ahead. So no, there's a great big channel that divides us and then you're in Europe and things
1: change. Over so you have different, you have different time zones then. I just, a small segue, uh, cause I was like, maybe he's on the same time zone as Normandy. But anyway, that's a, that's a side note. Um, you were a cheesemonger in the States for a long period of time. Um, and the reason I invited you on Cutting the Curd today was I wanted to get your comparisons and your knowledge about cheesemongering in Europe because I feel like there could be some differences. Uh, what do you say to that?
2: I would agree. You know, I moved out to the UK uh, almost exactly three years ago uh, on the 21st of January, 2018. And I, like you said, I've been working in cheese in the U.S. for a good long time. Um, I've been in the industry on and off for the past dozen years now um, and completely full time since 2013. And in particular, I was really used to a New York influenced, Brooklyn influenced American way of doing things. And it's a a bit different out here. Um, There's a longer history to cheesemongering in the United Kingdom there's obviously been a, a longer existence uh, of cheese making on this island, uh, certainly in the sense of Western European influenced cheese making and cheese selling. So as a result, there, there are a lot of cheesemongers who came before me, and it really influences how things are done here.
1: Now, I would imagine you're working with European cheeses also that you've you never had the chance to work with before in the U.S. What What's that like?
2: Oh, gosh, it's amazing. Let me tell you, um, <laughs> I'm very jealous, by the way, <laughs> running into either raw milk versions of pasteurized stuff I had in the U.S. or, or just things I'm simply not able to get a hold of in the U.S., um, new British cheeses that are absolutely stunning that can't be exported to the U.S. because of the 60-day pasteurization, uh, sorry, uh, raw milk rules, um, is, is just fantastic. Uh, there are depths of flavor I hadn't run into before in, in soft cheeses. Um, even if you take something as as ubiquitous as, say, Brie de Moe. Well, in the United States, we have Fromage de Moe, uh, the pasteurized version, but here we have the raw milk version. Uh, And the one we carry in the shop in particular uh, is from Danger, which is just a fantastic uh, hands-on producer. And there's just a a certain lingering otherness that you can experience with that that just doesn't quite come through if I had to compare. Um, So, yeah, it's been really, really fulfilling and wonderful just to start to both tick some cheeses off of that bucket list you start to create when you've been a cheesemonger for a long time, um, but also just to come into contact with, with cheeses and flavors that I hadn't been able to quite run into in the U.S.
1: So I wonder then, do you, do you feel at least that the customers in Europe have a different sort of palate than the ones that um, are shopping
2: in the U.S.? There's a different sort of palate, but there's also something culturally entirely different i can speak primarily to the british customer um and for them for older british customers there's a lot of association with territorials and growing up so if you grow up in yorkshire you grew up with Wensleydales. If you grew up in uh, in Lancashire, you grew up with different ages of Lancashire, be it what they call creamy, which is young Lancashire, or tasty, which is uh, young to middle-aged Lancashire, um, and so on and so forth. And you get very, very particular about that. And there are actually regional loyalties to these sort of things. Um, I, I don't see that as much from... American customers were a Wisconsinite might say, well, you know, it's really only Wisconsin cheddars that I have, or uh, a Vermonter will be similar. Um, We have our preferences, but it's less informed by that sort of thing. In general, I do find a slightly more cheese educated, or at least cheese positive vibe from the customers out here. And I think that's part of partly familiarity. Cheese is such a staple part of the diet of Brits. Even if it's on the more kind of supermarket side or block cheddar side, it's such a part of what everyone grows up eating here, as opposed to the United States, where I think we run into kind of younger and milder things as we grow up that are sort of incidental. So meant with zero offense to the wonderful cheesemakers who are making any of these things, but, you know, string cheese or or Monterey Jack or or American singles, you know, we're used to that. And that sort of builds our palates as we grow up. And no offense to those, because many of us who grew up on that sort of thing uh, ended up being cheesemongers. You know, I I ate plenty of easy cheese in university. Um, But I, I think it's a bit more of an integral thing out here. And the benefit of that is that, British customers have really helped us through some of the tough times of the pandemic when it comes to retail because cheese is such a staple part of the British diet. So it acts as both comfort and it acts as nutrition out here. And so people continue to purchase it.
1: Oh, wow. So actually in a little segue, um, because of covid and the fine cheese company what kind of um retail rules have you guys been following is there a limit to the amount of customers in the store or is it can you actually describe the fine cheese company counter for us as well just to kind of give the listeners an impression of of what it is and and what it's like
2: Absolutely. Well, I wish you all could just come and visit me. Uh, (laughs) Me too. (laughs) One day. (laughs) Excluding that. um, So if you walk into the shop where I work, um, so first of all, I should mention, so I'm the head cheesemonger for our original shop in the beautiful UNESCO World Heritage Protected City of Bath, which is gorgeous. Um, And we are in an old Georgian building, uh, at least 250 years old. And if you walk inside um, through the window, you will see – Two cases of small format cheeses, Uh, one half are are my cow side, the other half are my goat, sheep, and mixed milk side. And then you walk in, there is a lovely marble counter on which we work, and behind me are about uh, 120 or so cheeses on a beautiful shelving unit. Um, So these wooden shelves that are refrigerated and just display the the cheeses wonderfully. So that's my shop there, uh, and we're filled with all of the crackers we make um, and chutneys and fruit for cheese, all of which we export to the U.S. as well. I have my uh, standing charcuterie case with all kinds of beautiful uh, European and also British charcuterie in it. Um, And in terms of what we have to do with customers right now, We made Mm -hmm. the determination very early on to continue the retail experience for customers, but make sure it's a safe one both for them and for us. So our current policy is one household at a time in the shop. Uh, Spatially, we probably could do one more, but we only have uh, one door out of which people can enter or exit. So we want to keep that clear. So right now it is a very personalized shopping experience. Uh, we've adapted somewhat over the past few months so i have a couple of fantastic cheesemakers in the shop with me uh, my team of roberto and alice and at any given point any one of us if we see someone queuing outside will pop out the door and see if we can start to prepare their order for them or start to describe cheeses for them out the door to find out what they'd like or even bring them little samples. So we're cheesemongering sometimes without that case right there with us or without all of our cheeses in front of us. We have our beautiful ambient display, but you know we can't have people sampling directly off of that, so we have screens in front of that now. So we're really sampling exclusively off the tip, of the knife, which is pretty traditional for the United Kingdom, which we don't do in the U.S. at all, do we? we, we right. Have I was going to say that's very different. <laughs> that's that's which, cool. <sighs> I had to get used to that a bit. Um, my my very first mentor in cheese in the U.S., uh, Chantal Girard at the Dean of the Luca counter, used to do that. And, and her practice was informed off of Decades of doing this uh, at Artisanal and Picheline and also in France, where it, it's off of the knife tip. And I had to get used to that because I wasn't comfortable with that at first. But now it is, it is my favorite thing to do. And, uh, of course, if anyone makes contact with with the knife or, or between everything, we sanitize heavily. We wash heavily, um, which we were doing anyway before the COVID era. I, I think if you are a cheesemonger with good sanitary practices, then you're actually very well set for this pandemic in which we find ourselves because you're already washing down. You're already keeping strict charts of everything you do. You're already keeping every temperature log, making sure you do rotational sanitizing, rotational cleaning. Um, So we find ourselves in a really good place with that. And what's been really wonderful is that um, on and off, depending on the lockdown situations, the people of Bath have continued to come into our shop and support us, which helps us, helps the independent businesses around us. Um, It's been really fulfilling, even when business is down.
1: That's good. I I like to hear that. And um, in terms of, I was going to say verbiage and slang, (laughs) have (laughs) you, because for some reason in my mind... I have this idea that in the UK, there's like a bunch of words for cheese for cheese people to like, they have to kind of reconstruct the conversation, but that may not be true. This is just in my movie magic mind. Was there a bunch of uh, new slang and verbiage that you had to like learn on the job? Oh,
2: for sure. I mean, I'm a little lucky in that I went to graduate school in Scotland, so I'm already used to the thickest version of any UK dialect there is uh, and the most slang. Um, there are a couple things. So first of all, you have to get used to weight conversions. So you don't work off of uh, quarter pounds, uh, or pounds or any of that anymore. You're working off of kilos, you're working metric. Um, and it's not a difficult thing to do. And I already knew it to a small degree, but you really have to get used to cutting say a hundred grams, um, is the standard small cut people want rather than the standard small cut in the us of uh, quarter pound, um, or, or half sling, a pound for some counters, which I like. Having, I like that. <laughs> yeah, lucky counters. That's us for Christmas is uh, 250 grams, which is uh, around the really? same Oh, yeah, wow. Absolutely. I like that move. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, it's, right. it's a nice little bit to sling there. So, yeah, there's that. There are things. There, there are certain, um, I suppose, terms people use about specific cheese, about the age mark. So, like we said, someone walks in, do you have a creamy Lancashire? Well, Kirkham's Lancashire, which is a beautiful, fluffy, raw milk uh, heritage cheese from Lancashire, uh, I think has a very fluffy, rich texture to it. But when they say creamy Lancashire, for example, they specifically mean a very, very young Lancashire uh, of the age designated as creamy, which I don't have. So I I find them something similar. Um, Things like that. A lot of people ask for, oh, I'd like a slither. A sliver of cheese. Now, to my American ears, it sounds like a slither, like there is some sort of snake in the cheese. Uh, <laughs> not the case. It's just a, sliv- a sliver, just you know, a small bit, but things like that. Um, a lot of the use of the word truckle as opposed to wheel. I think,
1: yeah, truckle. They've tried to use truckle at the U.S. counters. If you, I feel like there's um, there is Flori's truckle. There is
2: Flori's truckle, which helps a lot.
1: Yeah, so that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, so I think a lot of what you must be so excited about. Um, and I've seen it in some of your writing is you mentioned origins of cheeses and like extreme history of these cheeses. That must be so thrilling to you to be in the land and like to be almost researching up close all of these cheeses, um, all the shire cheeses, you know, um, that come up. The, the, the true homeland of cheddar for you, um, I saw in your writing. How does that feel to be getting such a close look
2: at these cheeses? So you know me, and I'm a huge history nerd and cheese nerd. Um, I couldn't too. tell; I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've talked. We've talked um, to the nth degree, and so yes, for me, it's it's incredible. You know, I I, I live in Bristol, and I, I work in um, in Bath in Somerset, and so all around me are are the Mendip Hills, um, deep into which there's the Cheddar Gorge, where there's been. Cheese making, um, in this case, in a, in a small Roman city, for at least the last two thousand years, uh, in some degree and probably longer, depending on what uh, Celtic yogurty sort of things are being made before. Um, being somewhere with this much history just gets me going. It inspires me. It's e- it's even small. Uh, bits of being nearer to the land than I was before. You know, when you when you live somewhere like San Francisco, New York City, it's it's wonderful because you have these great cheese counters. But what we frequently miss because of the distance is the connection to where the cheese is actually made. I remember I was in um, I was in Switzerland. Le Gruyere uh, AOP uh, had brought me out there to to see dairying, and I thought to myself, wouldn't it be amazing? to live in a small city right next to the countryside and right next to where all of the cheesemakers I work with are. And I've managed to find that here in the UK, in Bristol and in Bath, because you know if I drive for 30 minutes, suddenly I'm at Westcombe Dairy. <laughs> a little farther than that, I'm at Keynes. You know, I, I, if I'm on a bus for 10 minutes, I'm suddenly at Bath Soft Cheese. And forget the bus, my bike commute that takes me from Bristol to Bath every day takes me right by both their high and their low pastures. So the ones down by the canal and the, their beautiful ones on the hillside with a mansion on top. I mean, it's, it's where I want to be. So it connects me with that, which is wonderful. And at the same time, there is this... Active and revolutionary wave of young cheesemakers making new cheeses, which for me is tremendously exciting.
1: Oh my, Nick! It sounds like you got a lot going on there. Uh, I'm actually going to ask you about some local cheeses when we get back. I want to take a quick, a quick, quick break. Um, okay, listeners, this is Cutting the Curd with Nick Bain, uh, and we will be right back. <music>
0: This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Comté Cheese Association. Comté Cheese Association represents the Comté PDO, Comté Protected Designation of Origin, in the USA. Comté is a raw milk cooked pressed cheese from the Jura Mountains of France. There, every day, 2,500 family farms deliver milk to over 150 local cheesemaking facilities, or fruitiers. This milk must be transformed into Comté within 24 hours of milking to preserve the lactic microflora in the milk, ensuring the cheese's aromatic potential. About 105 gallons of milk are required to craft a single wheel of Comté. Comté takes time to acquire its flavors in the affinage cellars. After eight months of aging by dedicated affineur on average, each wheel of Conte is graded and shipped to market. No wheel of Conte is the same. Its flavors speak to the pastures where the cows grazed, the season in which it was made, the particular craftsmanship of the cheesemaker, and the time spent in the aging cellar. Therefore, every wheel of Conte is unique. Learn more about Conte. An iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Comte-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E-USA.com.
1: Alright, welcome back, everyone. I am your host, Kara Warren, and today on the show, I have Nick Bain. Um, he is head cheesemonger of the Fine Cheese Company in Bath, England. But he is also an excellent Instagrammer. Um, his handle is at the um, and I—I I feel like I'm always learning through you, Nick. Um, especially nowadays, when when everything is kind of you're, you're isolated, it's like I'm traveling over to Europe when I look at your Instagram. Our How do you do that? Kind. <laughs> no, but it's great how do i how do i do what how do you how do you i guess i guess you just find the passion and uh and then you you go into the history of it it looks like for each for each cheese you know
2: um i love that about you you. when you're so passionate about a thing as as both you and i and i think the vast majority of our cheesemongering colleagues are um it's it's all about translating that cheese to, to, I guess, the outer world in some way. So on the counter, we're doing that for the customer, right? We're describing it to them. We're, the, we're that last step between between the farm itself and the customer's mouth. And so I look at Instagram as that. And I definitely used to be more on the hashtag cheese porn side of Instagram, and I still veer that way sometimes. And I, I definitely have a, a bit of a, I guess, a showy it it has
1: some entertainment value though it's good and i feel like yours is educational and the pictures are beautiful um and it it always makes me think of you when i see
2: those, those posts. So I, I'm glad you're doing them. Um, I appreciate that. You know, I've, I've tried over the last, particularly over the last two years to add a bit more of the educational side into there and a bit more of the descriptive side to talk about flavor, to talk about texture, to talk about molds, to talk about the background of the cheese rather than just look at this beautiful, dripping, gorgeous cheese that I wish I could smear all over my mouth. And, <laughs> you yep. be, because that's the entry point, right? But then there's Correct. so much to each one. I, respect and to a degree revere the heck out of all of these cheesemakers. And all I want is just to show off what beautiful things they've made in in the finest light.
1: So are you working with more cheesemakers in the UK directly now? Or do you have a local uh, connection with a lot of these cheesemakers now? Yes,
2: very much so. So in, in the US, for context, I was working at small independent cheese shops primarily, Um, starting with Bedford and moving on from there, Meckelberg's Foster Sundry, all of that, which is great. But the difference for me right now is I work for the Fine Cheese Company, and I work specifically for the retail arm of that. So first as the manager of the shop in London, and then here. What's great about this company is not only are we retail, we are an importer of European cheeses and products to the UK. We're an export of british artisanal cheese and our own crackers and chutneys and whatnot to the rest of the world and we're a wholesaler for the uk as well so we have all these different hats and what's amazing about these different hats is that it connects you even more to the producers um so for instance we hand-select cheddar with Westcombe Dairy, and I've been lucky enough to be part of that. Uh, I've gone on plenty of producer visits both to talk about their cheeses and select, um, which is wonderful. Um, I get to see, again, Tom Calvert of Westcombe, or, or I get to see Tim Homewood or, or Angela come into my shop <laughs> every week <laughs> to drop off some cheeses. I mean, it's, it's really, really great to have a, a direct and personal connection with the people who make your cheese uh, and anything else, really and um when you mean selecting because i just want to in case we have some
1: newbies to the cheese world here listening uh you mean are you getting to taste uh different wheels back to back like a vertical tasting
2: yeah literally so sometimes you'll you'll taste a, a couple of consecutive days um our particular approach for a selection with westcom for example is we're not selecting a specific profile what we look for is complexity the ability either if the cheese is younger uh, for it to develop even more complexity. So we're looking for either potential or we're looking for realized potential, something with a long finish, something that has the characteristic uh, Westcombe kind of cooked fruit with sort of toasted hazelnut with a balanced acidity, nothing that's burning too much, but something that's going to last and make someone's jaw drop. Um, same thing if I'm going up to uh, to visit Leicestershire Handmade Cheese, Spark and Home and, Farm, and taste through... Uh, some of their some of their red lesters um, we're looking kind of for what they're doing and for their input about what they're doing and our input towards what they're doing to help develop things further and further. Um, there are some new cheeses we're working with and, and, and really some new ones that have emerged in the last year as a response to the pandemic and as a response to milk surplus. And so our ability to have a dialogue, with cheesemakers is really to our benefit as they try to find what is going to sell well and what's really going to show off their milk.
1: Was it, I believe, was it in your article then that I read um, that a cheesemaker used to make soft cheeses, but instead he turned to making aged cheeses? Well, so uh, he still makes the soft
2: cheese. and he, Oh, he's still making the soft cheese. Okay. Yeah, so I a few yeah. examples of this. So in this case, we're talking about Dave Jowett of Kingstone Dairy in, in Chedworth in Gloucestershire, who makes the stunning uh, spruce uh and even and and uh, Washed Rind Evenlid, um, but as a response to the pandemic, you know he was left with more milk than he could move into the market because he had soft cheeses and all these restaurants weren't taking them anymore uh, because they closed. And so as a response to that, he's developed uh, several new firm cheeses, including Ashcombe, uh, which is a Morbier style, uh, and also including a Tom style, and including a a new territorial. Uh, based on, on kind of older Gloucestershire recipes. Uh, similarly, uh, a cheesemaker who uh, people in the U.S. will know, actually, Juliana Sedley, um, who makes a cheese called Baronet. Um, she used to work for Capriol. And in fact, if you've had Juliana from Capriol, that cheese is named after her. Um, hmm. She has started making uh, the first of its kind that I've ever seen, um, an ash-ripened Jersey cow's milk cheese. So looking at it, you'd think Selsa share. But it's oh, wow. Jersey cow and it's golden and um, it's 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 utterly unique. Um, and several other you know cheesemakers are doing this. There's there's one up in Cumbria, Martin Gott, who um, is just an incredible raw milk cheesemaker. Um, and he makes a cheese called Saint James, which is a washed rind raw sheep's milk cheese from his own herd. And he started uh, really producing a firm one called Crookwheel which um, some people would liken to Manchego. I wouldn't. I think it's utterly unique taste of his own herd, but kind of in that, in that firm, raw sheep's milk, natural rind category. And then um, another cheesemaker went out of business. Um, mm. They make Innislog and Innis Brick, um, and he bought their goats. And he has started to make uh, a firm goat's milk cheese called um, Holbrook. Um, and that tastes uh, phenomenal. So so you see people responding to this adversity, which I think is really inspiring. Um, and for me, again, as a history nerd, you know, we, we hear all <laughs> about, uh, you, you read your cheese books and you hear all about the idea of cheese evolving as a response to the circumstances around it culturally. And mm-hmm. this is an example of that. This is literally an example of what we hear them talking about from centuries ago. This is a response. Um, and I think it's fascinating and, of course, delicious.
1: You know, Nick, you are so passionate now about UK cheeses and culture. I, I'm, one, I'm curious if you're going to write a book one day, or at, <laughs> or at least you're going to keep writing articles, I, I think. I hope that that continues. And then I wonder, will you
2: ever return to the U.S. to sell cheese? Well, I, could, I can answer those in two parts. So um, I don't know if I'll ever write a book. I'm, I'm so ADHD. I don't know if I could uh, <laughs> put my mind together for that long. I will tell you what I've really been loving reading. Um, is the, the recent book by Ned Palmer, a cheesemonger's history of the British Isles. It is absolutely fantastic and utterly readable. And I think summates a lot of the historical points, um, I've, I've kind of referenced, um, but, but in a really digestible way and, and, addresses some of the new British cheeses as well. Um, you know, books like that, I mean, reinventing the wheel, etc., etc. um, those those make me quite passionate for this sort of thing. Um, so I don't know. It, everyone writes better than me, but I'll certainly keep writing articles. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do have a little research project up my sleeve that I don't want to go entirely into, but it does involve the pandemic being over and my ability to travel into the mountains of Eastern Europe and kind of uh, Alan Lomax my way through disappearing cheeses and small villages there. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. As for America, well, yeah. I'll tell you, I, I don't really have any plans to come back to the U.S. I love it out here. Um, my wife loves it out here. I like that we are both closer to my uh, in-laws in Israel. Um, oh, I yes, like. Yes. I don't like being so far away from my family and friends. I do like that I'm really close to the rest of Europe. So even though Brexit has happened, I still have a lot of access to that. Um to, to find out more and learn more and, and see more of the world. And I, I really enjoy that. Um, for me, I think it'll have to be continuing to, um, to keep some American cheese on my shelves. Uh, that, that's probably going to be what it's... The that, that's about do. it for now.
1: <laughs> what, which ones are you getting a chance to sell? Because I, I, I only know a few that I... Uh, but what, what are you selling at your counter, American-wise?
2: So- Right now, today, I don't have any on my shelf right now, um, but I do periodically have some. So it, it's quite difficult. Um, a lot of customers ask the question, well, aren't there any good cheeses in the U.S.? Well, I've been to the U.S. and I haven't had any good cheese. Oh, America, where they have those those flat square cheeses. And I, I have to kind of <laughs> dispel the myth. Um, there's no real trade agreement for us exporting artisanal cheese in any sort of efficient way, which would make it hard. But luckily, Jason Donnelly of the American Cheese Company, who also uh, heads up our export team, has made it easy to bring American cheeses into the United Kingdom. And so in the past year, for example, I've had a Rogue River Blue on my shelf. Lucky me.
1: Very lucky. Uh, I've
2: had some really stunning Pleasant Ridge Reserve. I had some Tarantay's, I had some Griffin, um, I had had, uh, Thomasville Tom, so good examples of raw milk American cheeses in that case, and really good examples of artisanal American cheese um, that really show off what we can do. Because the most I can do otherwise is explain to people, well, if, you know, you go to the United States, go to such and such and such in New York, go to such and such and such in, in Seattle, go to this place in Des Moines, go to this place in Los Angeles, which is fine, but ultimately they'll most likely forget about it once they go to the U.S. Um, and then, I don't know, walk into somewhere they shouldn't and take out some <laughs> <cheese>. <laughs> And then they have you know. cheese failure. No! Right, ex- exactly. I mean, like, when I look, when I visited Kiev, Um, uh, the first place I walked into was a Dutch cheese shop and there was a bunch of flavored Gouda, which was, you know, fun to snack on, but it took me a solid two more days to find a really fantastic small cheese shop selling, um, the forefront of Ukrainian artisanal cheese, which is a thing now. It is actually a thing now, um, which is a, an entirely other line of speaking but, but yeah you know, that, that's another in episode get, for sure <laughs> absolutely <People laughs> yeah. walk in and get the wrong impression um and yeah. so what i would like to be able to do is always have some really fantastic american cheese on my shelf so i can say well you think that but here try a taste of this now this was made raw milk in summer in the driftless region of wisconsin by andy hatch uh, or so on and so forth i, I think that's... that's a great way to start the dialogue about that is by giving someone a mouthful
1: I'm really, I mean, I'm really interested to see how artisanal American cheeses get into Europe over time, like how they expand over time. Um, it's something I've thought about off and on for the last decade or so. Um, so I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad to hear your side of that. Um, Me too, you know, I
2: wish, I wish we yeah. exported a few more of them. I think I'm optimistic that we'll get there. Again, with American Cheese Company uh, doing its good work, that helps a lot. Um, but, you know, there is so many fantastic american cheesemakers who i adore and who i love to talk about and whose cheeses i frankly miss at times uh despite Mm. the incredible uh british stuff out here um so it would be nice to show them to the rest of the world
1: well i did ask you to put together though a british pairing for us or a pairing i don't know if it's british you're gonna surprise me so what do you got
2: Right. Well, I have two in front of me here. So the question is, do you want the one you can get in the U.S. or the <laughs> one you can't, or a little bit of both? But let's start with the one
1: I can get in the U.S. And then, you know, right. we'll, we'll go out on a bang with the the
2: dreams, you know, the there hope one day. Yeah. Oh, fabulous. I love it. So funnily enough, um, in front of me here, I'm starting with the cheese we talked about a little bit earlier in the episode, which is Spark and Ho Red Lester, um, which is... Uh, for me, the last of its kind in that it's made in Southwest Leicestershire. It's raw milk. It's cloth-bound. Um, and, it's, and it's artisanally produced by the Clark family. Uh, so this is a cheese I actually fell deeply in love in, uh, in love with when I was in graduate school in the UK um, nearly 10 years ago now. Jeez, wow. Ooh, uh, you're aging yourself. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> I know. This, this is horrific. Um, but what I've done is I've <laughs> taken um, a little bit of local sourdough from Land Race Bakery, just 45 seconds up the block from my shop, and toasted that and made the toasty treat with a little bit of a twist. So so people are into toasties here. It's kind of like a grilled cheese sandwich, but usually open-faced. So I've grated some of this delicious cheese up. I've made a little bit of a base uh, on the toast with some butter here, which is looking tempting, Uh, from Fen Farm. (laughs) This is a raw milk salted butter. Spread a little bit of Fine Cheese Company onion chutney on there so i got some melted red mustard right here and on top of that i've drizzled a little bit of my favorite thing which is marmite (laughs) i Uh, was
1: wondering if marmite was going to come up in this episode i'm glad you did it
2: (laughs) absolutely hell yes i love this stuff you know they're they're very smart they um they had a campaign which is you either love it or you hate it and if you clicked on the i love it part of the website it took you to the main part if you clicked on i hate it it took you to forums of people who hate marmite (laughs) <laughs> I adore it. I adore it. Everyone has too much of it. It's, it's so salty. you got to cut it with a little bit of butter or just drizzle. Um, oh, and this is my favorite uh, cold-weather food. Trick. since it, Since it snowed yesterday, I wanted a cold-weather toasty. And then on my other side in front of me, um, I can't get through an episode without going for a nice, strong, washed rind. So I have here one of my favorite things. So this is called Saint Sarah. It is a raw Montbelliard cow's milk washed rind cheese starts out as a lactic set uh, geotrichum cheese so it's nice and brainy and then the uh, cheesemaker julie cheney um washes it in just a simple brine and it is stunning i wish you could see it it looks like it basically if you took a saint Marcelan uh, in a little wood box instead of a pot and just washed it until it started to droop a little bit like an poise that's what's going on here and it is personal sized uh Ooh. and so i have personally shoved a fine cheese company um quince toast for cheese into that because i think it's delightful not just with sheep's milk cheese uh but also with funky things with that little bit of sweetness and i'm going to use that as a vehicle to get this in my mouth and since we're actually recording uh, Mm -hmm. on burns night i've got myself a lovely little glass of Glen scotia whiskey to accompany that
1: Oh, you lucky duck, you! And just to remind listeners, it's uh, what time on your side? It's it's not as early as we all think for poor Nick. In it's case not, anyone was not. thinking. It's,
2: it's, <laughs> it's, well, 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 I so, sorry. It's uh, it's eighteen
1: thirty nine right now. Oh, so it's true happy hour time, I think, out there. True happy then. hour
2: six thirty nine.
1: Oh, yes, 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 yes. Um, lucky devil, you. See, this is another reason I can't wait till when everything is a little bit more normal in the world. I will travel and I will drink whiskey with you one day. And this is uh, something very much to look forward to and eat fine cheeses.
2: So um... you come out here. I will host the heck out of you. We will go down into Somerset and see some amazing people. Um, I I love it down here. Honestly, I, I love being in the rolling hills and the rain and the general kind of damp and old buildings and cobblestones. And it's not completely idyllic. You know, I live on the edge of a city, but it's I, I I get that beautiful British countryside whenever the heck I want it full of all of its magpies and pheasants and everything you want out of that. And I just adore it.
1: It sounds like a Christmas story almost like I can't even uh, anyway, I it's. I'm very happy. Thank you, Nick, for coming on the show today. Thank you for putting together those pairings. Um, I will have to look out for those things, and I, I will pay more attention for the Fine Cheese Company um, products because um, I realize I haven't had them in a while, and I'd like well, to get back to them.
2: Again, we, we export um, all over the world. You'll find a majority in the U.S., you'll find a lot of our our dry goods. So really fantastic crackers, um, some of which are branded actually with the exterior of the shop I work in, which is pretty great. Um, some really fantastic fruits for cheese, which is kind of like a membrio, chutneys. And then uh, we also export a, a lot of cheese. So those of you who work with World's Best, and you'll see a lot of stuff that we export there. Um, a lot of really fantastic cheeses from uh, British cheesemakers. And um, I hope you give them a try. And The next time we're all allowed to go down for fancy food, Um, I'll certainly be down there to uh, give you all a taste.
1: That's awesome. All right, Nick, thank you again. Listeners, as Nick just mentioned, you can find products at the specialty food stores around the U.S. Um, You can find Nick at the Cheese Mason on Instagram. Um, And you can find me at Kara Warren and Cutting the Curd at Cutting the Curd. Thank you all very much. And, oh, Nick, one more thing.
2: Sure, throw it out there. What say, do you got? Thank you for having me on. It is always um, delightful. This is, this is my favorite podcast. Um, oh, you're sweet. It's, it's a joy. Oh, you're so sweet. Well,
1: I love being cheesy together with everyone. So this is a good thing. Um, stay safe, everyone out there. Eat more cheese. And uh, we'll talk soon.